So thank you for joining us for this episode of Bookable Space. We're joined by Maximilian Hawker, who will be reading to us from and talking about Rory Hobble and the Voyage to Halligagen. So Maximilian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure. I love being read to, and so I'm really looking forward to this. So can you tell us where did the idea for the book come from? Um, so a lot of the idea for Rory Hobble was inspired by some of the events in my childhood. Not going into space, that hasn't happened yet, although hopefully one day it will. Um, but having a difficult home life and also being diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder when I was a child. Um, I think when I was diagnosed with OCD, um, I was always a big reader and I couldn't find a hero or someone to follow in literature who actually had the condition um, and I could relate to. So I suppose all these years later and having lived with OCD for so long, I wanted to write something that I would have enjoyed and related to if it had been released when I was a child. And that's that's been my primary reason for writing it. And I've enjoyed every minute of it. I absolutely love that you wrote the book that you would have wanted to read because how many kids, I mean, it's going to be something that other kids around the world want to fall into and they wouldn't have gotten to read that if you hadn't, you know, written it for you and for them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been, um, it's been it's the, the, the most joyful part of it has has been receiving feedback from some of the children by way of their parents, just saying that it's been it, it's been of benefit for them. And that that really does make it rewarding. Oh, wonderful. With that in mind, can we ask for a reading, please? Yes, of course. Um, what I will read from the very start of the book. So it is the opening. It's chapter one, The Intruders. And so this is how it commences. It was a sharp November night in South London when 11-year-old Rory Hobble spotted something impossible in the night sky. He dropped his binoculars, glancing at the bedside digital clock, which projected an eerie red 2338. The only sound was the occasional yell of his mum on the other side of the bedroom they were forced to share in their tiny flat as she struggled through yet another bad dream. Shuffling over the bed, he leaned his arms into the chill windowsill. Far, far below was what seemed such a little world, barbed in shadow. Unfastening the latch, Rory pushed the window open, the bedroom warmth depressurized into the night and replaced with the wind's bitter breath. Goosebumps assembled over his skin like inverted meteor craters. This always woke him when the cold snapped at his cheeks clawing the sleep from sore eyes. But more than anything, he adored craning his neck towards the clouds, hungering for all the wonders that he imagined to await beyond the sky. Rory glanced at his mum, whose face was twisted and sweaty. She didn't wake. Then it came, that voice, that doubt, which sickened his mind. Rory, Rory, mum might get cold, then she might get ill, then she might... No, Rory, deep breath, he told himself. The thought will go. But an image flickered into his mind, his mum, pale and lifeless, in an Arctic bedroom. He closed his eyes, shook his head. After several controlled breaths, the thought, the voice, faded into the background. Nonetheless, he hopped off his bed and stepped over to his mum, but her chest still lifted and dropped. She was fine. He knew that, deep down. 
In sleep, though, she looked vulnerable, a far cry from the daytime carnivore he knew her to be. He crept back across the floor, careful not to stand on the creaky bits he'd memorised, and avoiding the wire of the tatty, oil-heated radiator. From under his bed, he dragged out the Thought Diary, where he jotted down all those peculiar thoughts that filled his head. All those thoughts that he got, and normal people, or so he saw them, didn't. He had been advised by his last head doctor to write out every fear and every doubt that filled his mind, assured that it would help him to see them for what they really were. Farce. It was a nice diary too, leather. So he opened the pages. Moonlight helped him guide a biro through the dark. I was scared mum would die of hypothermia cause I opened the window at night. Okay, it was only a four out of ten on the anxiety scale. The thoughts were always weaker when he was tired and Rory was able to offer at least three rational responses to counter the discomfort. One, we don't live in Antarctica, so it's not that cold. Two, mum is sweating, so she must be feeling warm. Three, even if she did die tonight, it wouldn't necessarily be because of the cold. It helped a little. Before long, he was back at the window, but the voice would not be quiet. Rory, Rory, mum might get cold, then she might get ill, then she might... No, I'm keeping it open, Rory resolved. Rory, Rory. And as the voice finally faded, Rory once more turned his attention to astronomical matters. Wow. So how did your experiences as a social worker inform the writing of the book? Um, So... I've worked as uh, I've worked in frontline social care since 2016. So it's been, it's been over six years now. And in that time, I've had the privilege of being supportive of so many young people and involved in their lives. And uh, I think, I think one of the, one of the key things I also wanted to do with Rory Hobble, apart from portraying OCD as accurately as I could manage was to depict social workers in a more positive light and that's what i've um that's what i've done in rory hobble as well um i i'm i'm so aware i suppose of the negative portrayals of social work in the media and it's it's always been a concern for me because not so much the the criticism of social workers but i suppose the 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 portrayal of them to children who might end up with a social worker in their life for whatever reason, and they might be filled with a sense of of fear of what might be coming. And so I suppose my experience with social work um, allowed me to depict a more nuanced, um, a more nuanced character of, of a social worker and to, you know, to show them in a, in a more positive light, someone who is actually supportive of children who could relate to them and do their best to improve their life. You know, I love even that attention to wording that when you said I've had the privilege of caring for young people, and I don't think I've often heard it in that way. I can't say that I have a lot of like conversations with social workers where they would have had the chance to, you know, frame it in that way. And you're right. The media doesn't often give them the chance to even 
you know, talk about that passion and why they do what they do and, and how they do what they do. And we, we never get those, those stories of people who absolutely love caring for young people and, you know, helping them to succeed and excel and thrive and, you know, live. So really even, you know, just thank you for that explanation, but also for that wording, because it allows us to start, you know, questioning what is it that we're hearing and why are we hearing the stories that we are? So with that in mind, can we have another reading, please? Yes, of course. Um, So I'm going to skip slightly ahead to chapter two. Um, Chapter two is called Gary. And just for a bit of context, Rory's had a difficult day at school and he's on his way home um, and something strange happens. The rest of the day passed without incident. And as the afternoon unraveled, the overcast sky opened and torrential rain set in. When school finally ended, Rory set off home using his maths book to cover his head, water sliding off the laminate in great streams. I wish I was laminated, Rory grumbled inwardly. He missed the 303 bus by a matter of seconds, and the display at the shelter-free bus stop flashed a red 13 minutes, indicating what seemed an eternity until the next one was due to arrive. So he decided to walk home as briskly as he could instead. Alone with his thoughts, Rory tried to imagine what the new social worker would be like. The last one had been quite a forgetful person, and though infrequent, her visits had always brought the worst out in his mum. It had been years since the first social worker, and since then there had been, what was it now, seven separate people come into his life? And this Lemon, Lily, whatever her name was, was to be the eighth. He looked up at the glowering sky and pressed on a little quicker, not wishing to upset his mum by being late. The consequences were not worth thinking about. Turning a corner and hurrying past a group of hooded youths, Rory caught a glimpse down an alleyway of flashing ginger shapes, aggressive yaps accompanying their movement. Curious, he stopped and focused. In the shadow of a house, in a semicircle of wheelie bins and dumpsters, stood at least 12 foxes of various size, snapping and swiping at each other in their attempts to reach something on the ground. Rory took a few steps down the alleyway, school shoes squelching in a gruel of gravel and mud. The something on the ground seemed as though it was trying to move. Hey, get out of there. Go on, Rory yelled at the foxes, realising that they must be attacking some kind of animal. One or two of their number looked dimly up at him, but peculiarly, they all remained where they were. Sticky snouts sniffling and snuffling for their quarry, slick teeth glinting. I said, get out of it, Rory yelled again, this time running at the foxes, the scavengers finally scattering. As the last of the foxes scrambled up a garden fence, Rory reached the bins and looked down at the something on the ground. At first he thought it must be a sort of rugby ball tied up in a blue bin bag. But no, he hadn't been imagining things a moment ago. It was definitely moving. Kneeling down, tossing his maths book to one side and rubbing some of the rain from his eyes, he took a closer look. Whatever it was, it looked like a miniature whale, but its gleaming rubbery hide was a palette of swirling purples, blues and greys. It seemed to be lying on its side. Along its back were what looked to be crystals, lilac in colour, 
sticking out like the unruly hair of an anime character. Four great black beads of varying size near the front might have been eyes, and under its neck and on its belly, triplet bubbles tried pathetically to expand. The bubbles reminded Rory of a frog's throat as it ribbits. Whatever this thing was, it clearly didn't belong in the mud outside a semi-detached house in South London. Hey, what are you? Rory mumbled, reaching out with a tentative hand. The creature responded with the strangest noise, a mournful high-pitched song tinged with a bass that seemed to have been summoned from a depth it did not possess. Rory touched his head, rubbed at his temple. For one moment, it seemed as though there was a flare of imagery in his mind, but it was gone as quickly as it came. For the first time, Rory noticed a dark substance ebbing out from under the creature. Are, are you hurt? The creature rumbled and tried to inflate its little bubbles again, but then, with a rattle, deflated one final time. It went completely still and quiet. Rory looked it up and down, panic sweeping over him. No, don't be dead, little guy, he willed. Hesitantly, he laid hands on the creature's belly, cold and wet, the texture of rubber. The darkness still flowed out from under it, so he turned the animal over to find a single bite wound. Gritting his teeth, he pulled his school blazer off and pressed it against the wound, holding it for several minutes. The creature did not stir in that time. Rory became aware of hungry eyes at the periphery of his vision. The foxes had smelled blood and returned. Come on, you ridiculous thing, wake up, Rory hissed, shaking the creature. Still, it didn't move. Rory recalled a first aid video he once saw in which someone had stopped breathing, with a paramedic pressing down on his chest and counting. Holding his hands in the way he remembered, Rory pressed them into the belly of the creature and began compressions. One, two, three. Four, he puffed aloud. Nothing. One, two, three, four. Still nothing. Rory ran a hand through his sodden hair, white shirt clinging to his body like damp kitchen roll. He lifted a hand, clenched it into a fist and brought it down hard on the creature's belly. The crystals on its back flickered with light. Surely, just for a moment. He hit the creature again. Definitely light a pinkish glow channeling through the crystals. He lifted both fists and brought them down with all his might, whack, into the belly. The crystals lit up again and remained lit. The bubbles inflated. The creature shook and released gas from several orifices under its tail, so violently that it launched like a rocket, all of two metres, straight into a wheelie bin, which it hit with a dunk before dropping pitifully back into the mud. Rory leapt back in surprise. The foxes scattered once more. Ha! You did it, Rory chuckled, both to himself and the creature, which wriggled a bit like a fish out of water. Perhaps it is a fish out of water, Rory theorised. Looking up at the sky, he momentarily considered the possibility that more of these creatures might start to rain down. Suddenly, he realised how long he had been down this alley, how much darker the sky was. He couldn't leave this thing behind, though. Ripping open his school bag, he chucked in his maths book, then picked up the creature pressing his blazer into its wound once again and stuffed it into the bag as well. It was surprisingly light, considering it looked to be a shrunken version of the heaviest animal to have ever lived. It gazed up at him from the bag, each of its eyes, four on the left and four on the right of what must be its face, shining with apparent emotion and gratitude.
Oh, can you tell us about something that you learned while writing, something that surprised you that, or that you weren't expecting? Um, I suppose one thing which I learned and did surprise me quite a bit when I was writing uh, this novel was just how much scope you can get into a book when you really flesh out a world. So with Rory Hobble and the voice to Halle Goggin, the book starts on Earth, obviously, and it involves a massive voyage for Rory through space, um, something like 4 billion miles, because I estimated where he would eventually end up, and it was it was quite some distance. So being able to create a whole universe of creatures and people and compress it into this one journey he has um, through various planets and moons and um, a colony of, of humans on, on on an alien world as well. It was it was wonderful just to realise how much your imagination can run away with you and how much of how much of a world you can you can create when you really just enjoy what you're doing. You enjoy the craft and you're just having a good time. I suppose the book sort of just rushed out of me once I knew what I was going to do and it wrote itself very, very quickly. Editing took a bit longer, as it always, <laughs> it always does with with writing. Um, but even that process was an absolute joy because just revisiting certain moments from earlier in the earlier in the book and then going over the notes that I'd done and the sort of back history that I'd created for this this little universe was absolutely joyful and it's it's something that I didn't think I would enjoy quite as much because I thought it would be such a chore trying to create all of this world around Rory and the creatures he meets and the people he meets but it's something I really enjoyed and it's something I would definitely do again and it's something I would encourage anyone to do whether you whether you've written 10 books or none. I absolutely love that one writing the book that you wanted to read, you know, still doing that and en- and enjoying the process and the craft of it and, you know, sticking with it and enjoying the editing. I think that's such a joy. And then through all of the people and the places and the the beings that he meets, there's still that question of should he, you know, go on this quest or should he return? Does he want to return home? Does he want to help this abusive mother? And I think that's one of the things that's also really quite wonderful is that there's all these other questions going through. And then some very um, core questions that people might be grappling with, you know, in some form or another. So I thought like, um, like what a joy to bring life to, you know, this story. It was an absolute joy. And it's, I suppose it's also interesting how genre sort of evolves as you're doing it, because I have in my mind a sort of family drama with, you know, with a sci-fi element, but Mm. you get so many elements of horror and thriller and action adventure into it as well. And it becomes, it it balloons into something you'd never really imagined from the start. I like that this book was, you know, constantly surprising you. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, I think I think a creative project, whatever it is, whether it's a book or, or artwork or sculpture or whatever, whatever if it's constantly surprising you, then it, it's, it's demonstrating that there is a creative energy in there, which is worth pursuing. Wonderful. Could we have our final reading, please? Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to skip ahead to chapter four, which is called Missing. Things have, um, by this point, some very strange things have continued to happen. And Rory feels like he's being watched or followed by something that might not be entirely human and not something as friendly as the little creature he met in the second chapter was. So here we go. Outside school, the fog was still heavy and the mid-afternoon sky darkened. Rory ran past the playing fields and over the bridge 
that hung above the railway, bringing him level with Croydon Woods. So fixed were his thoughts on getting home that he did not pay attention to the tree line or dwell on the unsettling noises he had heard earlier. However, his attention was dragged to the trees once again when he heard a sound like a howl of anguish. He stopped dead in his tracks, eyes searching the woodland, heavy canopies shadowing the forest floor as all the darker and harder to pierce. Again, another sound came, only this one was not so anguished. Instead, it was a gentler moan. Rory felt the hairs stand on end all over the back of his neck, and Gary shook in the rucksack. Gary is the creature from chapter two. P.E. was the last class of the day, and he had been waiting to speak to Mr. McSteward for over half an hour, as the headmaster had been in a meeting with some governors when Rory first reached the office. Consequently, the roads were nearly empty, and only a few straggling students could be heard here and there in the distance. Other than that, Rory was quite alone. He needed to get home to check on Mum, but at the same time, just as earlier, there was a deeper persuasion urging him to find out just what was going on in those woods. Sorry, Gary, I know you don't like it, but I gotta know. Gary whined in response, but made no further show of reproach. Rory stepped off the pavement and onto the slope, which led down into the woods. The ground was sodden, so the grass squelched underfoot, but a few misplaced steps left snapped twigs in his wake. Reaching the trees, Rory paused. The fog carried into the woods as well, though there it was not as thick. The trees were tightly packed like matchsticks in a box, and bushes, weeds and moss consumed much of the floor. Rory moved in among the trees and was surprised just how dark it was away from open sky. His awareness of sound changed as well, and every scuttling animal, rustling leaf and whisper of wind was a nervous moment for him. He walked about for a while, straining his ears to identify any other sound that might be considered out of the ordinary, but nothing came. Then, just as he decided to carry on back home, he heard it. It was close by, and this time the noise was different. In some indefinable way, it sounded like language. Hello? Rory said, but there was no response. He looked around, behind this tree, over that bush, but nothing. The Prime Minister's words from her press conference came to mind. There is no reason to think they are hostile. But Rory took a few steps back anyway, hushing Gary, who was whining once more. This is ridiculous, utterly ridiculous, Rory thought to himself, shaking his head. As he started to head back towards the road, he heard it again, closer this time. Ah. He sucked in a sharp, fog-moistened breath and darted his head about, looking anywhere his eyes could penetrate in the gloom. I... I know you're out there, Rory yelled, finding the courage to broadcast himself. I saw you earlier. You might as well show your face and stop hiding. He let the words echo out of existence, but still there was nothing. Only the wind shuffling leaves like a pack of cards. After a good minute, Rory turned around and began walking back to the road yet again. 
Gary was silent, which Rory found more uncomfortable than his whining. Walking past a large oak, he came level with a bush far bigger than he, and he heard the noise again, level with his ear. Ah! Rory whipped his head round with a yelp, slipped over a rock and landed heavily on his backside. Staring into the bush, though, he saw absolutely nothing. Okay, I'm done. This is silly, he decided, with more conviction this time. He pulled himself up, annoyed with himself for, as he saw it, overreacting. As he did so, he cast a casual glance back in the direction from which he came, and only then did he see it. A thin, pale arm with four nailless fingers disappearing behind a tree not 12 feet away, gone before he even realised what he was seeing. In that hideous moment, the wind caught his hair and he staggered back, heart drumming with terror. Gary whined and Rory broke into a run, flying through the trees, tearing through the bushes, desperate to reach the road and civilization again. Coming up to the pavement, Rory was more interested in looking over his shoulder to check if he was being chased and so dashed onto the road into the path of an oncoming vehicle which swerved wildly to avoid him, coming to a stop amidst the beeping of horn and screeching of tyres. Stupid kid! The driver barked to him through an open window. But Rory was already running off into the distance towards home, mindful only of the need to get away from Croydon Woods as quickly as he could. He finally came to a stop a quarter of a mile up the road, where he could see the Mirth Rises estate hanging above a break in the fog. Doubled up and catching his breath, he heard a car pulling up behind him, its dipped headlights painting his shadow weakly across the pavement. The car came to a stop and the door opened. Rory? I thought that was you, came a woman's voice, familiar. Rory turned around. Limmy? It was the new social worker. Come on, get in. You look like you've seen a ghost. Wow, how breathtaking. Thank you for such an engaged reading too. Like I, (laughs) I felt like we were watching it. And so it was just so vivid and full of tension and, you know, a bit scary. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. <laughs> so where can we find Rory Hubble and the Voyage to Halligogan? So it's available in all the usual places, Amazon, Waterstones, Foils, etc. But if you like supporting independent bookshops, as I try to, I would recommend you go to a newchapterbooks.com, all one word. They are a bookshop online based that I particularly like because they are dedicated to diversity and inclusion in children's literature. And I have a great amount of admiration and respect for them. So if you do fancy picking up Rory Hobble and the Voyage to Halligoggin, then head over there. Oh, Maximilian, thank you so much for joining us, for the readings, for spending time. It was such a joy to hear you read and to talk to you about your book. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure.